0: I'm Alicia. And I'm Ashley.
1: And we are Merd Nerds. Hello, fellow Merd Nerds. We hope everyone is enjoying their day so far. If you are a returning listener, thanks for coming back and supporting the show. If you're a new listener, maybe you're confused about how you got here. What is even going on? Well, Murd Nerds is a weekly true crime podcast that covers the weird, the wacky, the mysterious, and the unsolved in our home state of Indiana. Each week, either my lifelong best friend and co-host, Ashley, or I will research, retell, and deconstruct a true crime case that we found fascinating. Here at my side, my trusty co-host, Ashley. Ashley, how you been? I've been really good. How have you been? I've been great. That's great. Doing so much.
0: So many things. I have some fun news. Um, I have been looking for an apartment for, you know, since August. Mm -hmm. And, well, or a house. So I finally got, like, I guess shortlisted for a house in the country. And I'm going to look at it. I guess by the time this releases, I will have already looked at it. But... Going to look at it and hopefully they pick me and Nina and we can move and so live exciting. life in the country. And Shaka, she yes, deserves my a dog.
1: yard. Oh. She deserves a yard. Yeah,
0: so I'm really excited. So everybody cross your fingers for me, even though it will be after the fact. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and at the ones and twos, our producer, our editor, and our fun addition to the Murder Nerds family, Jeremy. Jeremy. Jeremy, what have you been up to this week?
2: So. <laughs> i have been uh i've been busy my 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 little little world keeps spinning faster and faster and faster so we got uh, some new podcasts we're in the middle of working on and of course we went to concerts and all kinds of crazy stuff like that so you'll hear about all that on golden image podcast so yeah drop check- a little promo golden image podcast <laughs>
0: <laughs> I know you guys. You guys stay pretty active. Your family. You guys do a lot of stuff. But since you started doing that, are you guys doing a lot more? And especially, you're doing it together too.
2: We are doing a lot of this together, which is really surprising. It really wasn't the idea behind it, but it works out so well. So, yeah, it it's great because like we end up going to the Hard Rock uh, Northern Indiana Casino uh, on Saturday. Oh. Fun. And we got to see uh Papa Roach and Bad Wolves and Hollywood oh, that's Undead. That's you saw all that. Yes.
0: Oh, okay. Hollywood Undead. Hollywood Stop. Undead. What oh my god. The fuck? What a blast from the oh past. Oh my
2: God. and they were great. They did a great job. They're their one singer I was just like that dude can sing. <laughs> Holy shit. But we went with some friends of ours, Billy and Tina, and we met up with gunner Sarah and uh, their friend Courtney. Because she is a giant Hollywood undead fan, so fun. that was why they. I thought they would they be
0: fun to see live. Yeah,
2: it was it was pretty crazy, hmm. but yeah, we're going to talk about that in uh, one of our next upcoming podcasts here in the next few weeks. But uh, yeah, it was a great time, and what a it's a beautiful place if you ever get a chance to go. Where's that at? Up, it's up in. Gary.
1: Oh yeah, Gary. <laughs> yep. That's why they call like it the. Gary. That's
2: why they call it the Hard Rock Northern Indiana because they if they put Gary on it, yeah, nobody's, nobody's going. Gonna you know, go. yeah, going to want to go. I'm not going to Gary. That's funny. So yeah, we've been really, really, really active.
1: Good. Fun. You can hear about it all mm-hmm. on Golden Image Podcast. That's right. So go check them out. They're uh, they're on all the popular uh, streaming platforms. So check them out. Give them them a follow. Give them a follow. Give them a rate, review. Go like their Facebook page. Do all that fun stuff. Please. So, our last couple episodes have been some heavy hitters. Covering true crime can be really dark sometimes, obviously, but especially when it comes to unsolved cases. When you finish a case, it never really feels finished. There's never a conclusion, which is why we wanted to do this from the beginning, We wanted to help bring attention and possibly give endings to these stories. But we're only human, and sometimes we need a story with an ending. And Ashley and I decided that occasionally we're going to throw in some stories that do have a conclusion or ending or cause to what happened and why. Outside of true crime, I really enjoy researching other kinds of mysteries. Paranormal, unexplained, urban legends... And while researching one night for another project we will soon be working on, I discovered an urban legend within the city of Hammond, Indiana. The urban legend talked about people who believed that there was a lion in the woods. People sharing how they had grown up hearing stories of people hearing this lion or seeing it while walking through various woods in and around Hammond. And I couldn't help but think about how interesting this is for obvious reasons, but Indiana isn't exactly known for its exotic wildlife. You'd think this could easily be explained away by the native animals, but there are very rarely reports of wildcats like cougars passing through, and there's no established breeding populations besides one species. Do you know what the species is? No. Bobcats? Bobcats, yep. The only wild cat native to Indiana is the bobcat. And if you aren't familiar with bobcats, they're a spotted cat. It's about, they're about 20 to 30 pounds. They're found all over the United States. But within Indiana, they're pretty rare to find anymore due to being hunted out, uh, the growth of housing and industry, and especially in the northern part of Indiana. Bobcats are more likely to be seen in central and southern Indiana. So there's no way that someone could mistake seeing a bobcat for an African lion. A large house cat, yes. But an African lion could eat a bobcat in one bite. Plus, have you ever heard what a bobcat sounds like? Don't they sound like they're like screaming? Yeah, it's terrifying. They sound like a person screaming or shouting. It doesn't sound like a roar at all. And maybe we can put a clip in here of just like a bobcat screaming so People can hear what it sounds like because it's terrifying. Do you want me to? Do you
0: want me to make them reenact? It? <laughs> can you? Um. Oh, come I on, didn't... give
2: it a
1: shot. Yeah, go
0: ahead. I can improv it. <laughs> it's pretty close.
1: I probably didn't need to be that close to the mic. Sorry, <laughs> we should have warned about a jump scare. So I really needed to get to the source of this roaring that people were hearing or this animal that they were seeing. And that's how I came across the possible source of this myth. A true, very real explanation. A story of a circus. (laughs) Your face right now. (laughs) This is the tragic story. Of the Hammond Circus train wreck. I knew, I knew that there was a but. This is Merd Nerds. We do cover <laughs> true crime. I needed to connect it back somehow. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, my sources are a short documentary on YouTube by Fascinating Horror, uh, Arcadia com, Wikipedia, and there I found information concerning trains, circuses, and the Hammond Circus train accident. So, we're going to go through a little bit of a history, a history uh, words. Lesson? Lesson, there we go. We're going to mm-hmm. go through a little yep. lesson of <laughs> I'm all I over got the you. place today. I got Thank you. you. Um, so, the first circus appeared as a small family owned circus in the mid 1700s in Europe. Between 1800 and 1820, Circuses had made their way to the United States through the performance of the Circus of Pepin and Brachard, which toured from Canada, along the east coast of the U.S., and then down to Cuba. This was the first successful circus tour in the U.S. and included stunt actors and the big top tent that we all know as being synonymous with the circus. Seeing the success of Pepin and Brachard, Joshua Purdy Brown of upstate New York purchased an elephant and other exotic animals from around the world and began putting on performances with these animals. In 1841, one of the most famous circuses today, do you know what it is? You do?
2: Sure, don't you?
1: Yeah, you say it first.
2: Barnum and Bailey. Barnum and Bailey.
1: Barnum and Bailey. They began traveling as a mu- as a museum featuring oddities and rare items from around the world. By 1871, they had gained the attention of William Cameron Koo and Dan Costello, who then integrated the Freak Show performances, the Three Rings, and moving circuses by train. The growth of circuses and the multidimensional performances attracted people from all over the world. The, the world had never seen anything like this, especially Americans. Everyone was feeling the repercussions of World War I and the Great Depression, and the circus allowed them to have affordable, family-friendly fun, and it came to them. They didn't have to go to it. So during the peak of circuses in the late 1800s to early 1900s, the second largest circus in America was called the Hagenbeck-Wallace Circus, and it was actually formed in Peru, Indiana.
0: I just read about... That's so weird. I just read about no that. way. Not that long ago. Yeah. Because I was looking at the Hartford, that really bad fire that yes. was in like the 50s, mm-hmm. and then it... I, like, I don't know, I got on this train back to oh, train. I, why do I always do that? <laughs> I don't know, there's so many puns in this, <laughs> this whole podcast. um. But yeah, for some reason I circled back to the yeah, Peru ah, and it was it So you know the never story. left. No, I didn't read much oh, okay. about it. It was more of a headline. Yeah.
2: <laughs> no, I no. Um I, but I do know that Peru is circus town or whatever. I had the, no idea. Oh yeah, yeah,
0: when you go under that viaduct, that yep. big mural <gasps>
2: Oh yeah, they
1: God. a lot of the
2: circuses will train down in Peru. And really? Yeah, it's like a home base, yeah.
1: Huh. That makes so much sense. That does make sense. Weird. So it was the combined creations of Carl Hagenbeck and Benjamin Wallace. Carl Hagenbeck was an animal trainer who ran the Carl Hagenbeck Circus. His method of training was unlike any used before. Most trainers at this time used fear as the basis of how they trained their animals. Striking, yelling, etc., But Hagenbeck used reward-based training for his animals, which now we know works extremely well and creates bonds with the trainers and the animals. Benjamin Wallace was a stable owner and horse trader who had already had a fairly popular circus called the B.E. Wallace Circus, which predominantly was a horse show. And he bought the Carl Hagenbeck Circus and combined both of them to be called the Hagenbeck Wallace Circus in 1882, Imagine how many times I say circus throughout this entire <laughs> entire episode. So, the show included trained horses, exotic animals, acrobats, and other performers. It grew three rings, it grew to three rings, two stages, 10 acres of canvas tents, and room for an audience of over 20,000 people. The show was so large that they had to travel by two separate trains. Each train would carry the tents, animals, stagehands, performers, and anyone or anything else needed to put on a successful show. Being this large, there were definitely situations that arose that were less than ideal. Minor train accidents, breakdowns, accidents on the roads, floods even. They had experienced a lot, but they still tracked on no matter what. On the night of Friday, June 21st, 1918, The circus had just wrapped up a performance in Michigan City that brought out hundreds and hundreds of eager audience members. After loading the entire circus, including the tents, animals, and performers into the two trains, they set off towards their next city, which was Hammond, Indiana. One train had left a while before the second, and the second would have a tough time catching up. These trains were antique trains. They were built in the mid to late 1800s, and although they were renovated and updated, the frames of the trains were entirely wood. These types of trains had become obsolete and replaced by steel frame trains like we have today. Although they were still legally allowed to be taken on the tracks, they were limited in speed due due to the dangerous circumstances that could arise if there was an accident. Wooden trains were only allowed to travel at a speed of 25 miles per hour. The circus staff and performers didn't mind this though. This slow and steady pace offered a nice rocking and lulling to sleep in the bunks for the over 400 passengers aboard the trains. That's a lot of people, and that's
0: all like employees and performers and stuff. Yes, wow.
2: Yep. Oh, I bet that was awesome. Just rocking back and forth. Yeah,
0: well, because mm. when they're there, it's probably just go go go. They gotta build. They gotta perform. Yeah, there's not a lot of downtime.
1: So the traveling on the train allowed them to have that little bit of relaxation, especially. I mean, because most uh, circuses that I know of, everybody helps take the tents down. Everybody helps set them up. So it's more than just the actual performance. So they traveled at night after their performances, and that was the perfect opportunity for them to sleep in between towns, which is exactly what nearly everyone on the trains was doing between Michigan City and Hammond. The distance between Michigan City and Hammond is roughly 40 miles, so at 25 miles an hour, they could easily get a nearly two hours or so of sleep. In the middle of their journey, at around 4 a.m., the brake man, Oscar Tim, noticed a hot axle bearing on one of the flat cars. Do you know what a flat car is? What's a brake man? <laughs> I'll tell you what that okay. is.
2: Okay. What's a hot axle? <laughs>
1: <laughs> Do you know what a flat car is, though? I had no idea. I learned so much about train cars. Is it just one that hole. you strap larger things to? It doesn't have sides on it?
2: Yep. A flat oh, car is nice.
1: A flat car is a train car that is completely flat and without walls, so you can haul large objects. Uh, I'm sure they were hauling the tents, acrobatic equipment, stands and stages, anything that they would need to set up that was too large to fit inside the cars. So they needed to stop and fix the axle bearing because this could cause a much bigger problem, like completely breaking the train axle or creating sparks that led to a fire. So to do this, Oscar Tim, the brakeman, signaled to the other brakemen to stop the train. But how did they stop trains before air brakes were invented?
2: Indiana Jones style, when you jump out front and throw your foot down.
1: (laughs) Yeah, they call Superman, and he holds the front of the train. I knew we'd get get DC in here somehow. Yeah, I don't know. So that's where the train whistle comes into play. Either the conductor or the brakeman would blow the whistle, which would signal to everyone else that it's time to brake. The conductor would cut the power to the engine. Then the brakeman would use handbrakes on each car to stop the train's wheels. Multiple men would jump. Yes, jump from train car to train car to pull the brakes. As I'm sure you're aware, this is a very long process and allows the train to keep going for several hundred feet from where they initially signaled the stop. So as the conductor, you better stop well ahead of time. Once the circus train stopped, Oscar Tim and the other brakemen placed warning flares all around the train and the rails. This was to signal to other trains that they also needed to stop ahead of time because there was a halted train on the track. But before they could begin to repair the axle, they saw a bright light coming from behind the train. And it was the light of another train. Oh, no. Oscar Tim began waving and signaling that the flares with the flares that the train needed to stop. But the engine didn't slow down or even try. He ran towards the train, frantic, trying everything in his power to signal to the train to stop. And as a last resort... He threw one of the lit flares that he was holding at the front window of the moving train, but still, it completely refused to slow down. Oscar Tim watched as the train rammed into the back of the stopped circus train at full speed. The train blasted through four occupied sleeping cars, turning each one into an explosion of splintered wood. A survivor of the accident stated that they were asleep, woke up to the sound of the impact, then before they knew, they were completely ejected from their car and out of the train car. They were quoted as saying, I woke up to the sound of splintering wood, and then suddenly I was sitting up. Then there was another crash, and another, and another. I was pounded into the corner of my berth, which is like their train car. My scalp was split open, the whole car buckled. It parted down the center, clean as though it had been sliced with a giant knife. I felt my section rising as the engine of the troop train, which was the train behind them, Mm -hmm. plowed into it. Then I was away up in the air on top of the wreckage in just my shirt and drawers. I put down my head and just laid still. A coat came sailing over and landed on top of me. Then everything was quiet. How sad is that? Like picturing that in your head. It's yeah. Almost a, cartoony. A coat,
0: he meant like a literal coat? Yes.
1: Okay. Yep. I didn't
0: know if that was like a word for like a conductor or something. No, the, an actual coat came sailing.
2: So are you going to tell us why the train didn't stop? Maybe. Okay. <laughs>
1: The initial wreck was catastrophic. There was no time from the moment the brakemen saw the oncoming train hurtling towards them to the moment of impact. There was no way that they could get the sleeping performers out of the several cars that were hit. As if the damage of the crash wasn't enough. A fire broke out. And I know I've noticed that I have this thing with fire, I guess. In every single one of my stories, there has been a fire. Yeah, that's true. Except like one or two. Isn't that weird? So the trains at this time were lit by oil lamps and the fires were quick and raged on violently because of this, the people that were ejected from the train or were able to escape from the initial accident began to frantically search and dig for people that were trapped underneath the wreckage. If they didn't die from the crash, they were now threatened by the fires that were spreading. It was extremely dangerous trying to navigate, navigate through the debris. It was almost like digging through a pile of toothpicks and nails. But clowns, acrobats, aerialists, animal trainers, and many more all came together to frantically get anyone out and pulled to safety away from what was left of their home on the road. Roughly 100 feet away from the site, two men were stationed to watch the tracks on the Ivanhoe signal tower. They tried to phone several people to help assist in the rescue, but considering it was past 4 a.m. at this point, firefighters and emergency personnel were slow to arrival. The first person to get to the tracks was Gary, Indiana Mayor Roswell Johnson, and along with him was the Gary Fire Chief. Before they arrived, they were able to phone several medical emergency services to get to the site as soon as possible. Fire companies and local residents were able to help pull victims out and get them to nearly all the nearby hospitals or a pop-up triage center in Michigan Central Station in Hammond. 127 people were injured and in need of medical attention. Sadly, morticians were called to the scene to help get bodies out of the remains of the train. Due to the sheer volume of casualties, bodies were taken to all available funeral homes in the area. 86 lives were taken within seconds. It was reported that most of the victims were from the initial crash, and most died within the first 35 seconds of the accident. The rest of the victims were killed by the fire. The fire did so much damage to the bodies that they were burned unrecognizably. They initially thought most of the burn victims were African-American railway porters. But once they investigated the bodies, they realized that no, they were just charged so badly. Some of the most famous performers that died in the crash were Arthur Derricks and Max Netsborn of the great Derricks brothers. They were a very popular strongman trio. One brother did survive, and that was Joseph Derricks. Also, Jenny Ward Todd of the Flying Wards. The flying wards were a high trapeze and aerial gymnast act from Bloomington, Indiana that was extremely famous within the circus circuit and even performed in Barnum & Bailey. Five days after the accident, 53 of the 86 victims were buried within Woodlawn Cemetery in Forest Park, Illinois. Only five of those 53 were properly identified. Most of the graves are labeled unknown male or unknown female, and some are even labeled by their occupation or their nickname within the circus, such as Baldy, Smiley, or Four Horse Driver. So they didn't have any kind of employee records or anything? It was the early 1900s, so I doubt it. I doubt there was anything.
0: Well, I just remember on the um, case you did, that guy that worked at the shoe factory. Oh, that was that pork- so hard yeah. to find. Yeah, that was through oh. the census
1: though, so they had an address. A lot of these people are on the road; gotcha. they don't have a gotcha.
0: like a. Well, and they're probably like, I mean, they're on the road. It's like, yeah, I'm gonna run away and join the circus is like a thing. Yeah, so, okay, exactly. Okay,
1: that makes sense. So there were even some survivors that asked to be buried there after they passed away. And I thought that was really, really sweet. Um, The section where they were buried was purchased by Showman's League of America, which is a community of show people. And the area, it's kind of like a club, Um, the area is called Showman's Rest and is surrounded by elephants standing in mourning with their trunks lowered. I'll be sure to include photos of the memorial graves on social media because it's a really beautiful tribute. People still visit the graves today and leave flowers or trinkets behind in remembrance. Where is it
0: at in Illinois?
1: Uh, Forest Park.
0: Oh, I want to go there. That sounds like it'd be really beautiful. Woodlawn
1: Cemetery. Obviously, the show that was set to perform that day in Hammond, Indiana was canceled, but the Hagenbeck-Wallace Circus truly said the show must go on. With the help of several other performers and other circuses around the country, on June 25th, they were able to put on a performance in Below Wisconsin. They even continued the run that they had scheduled after that. It was an honor to keep the show going so soon after the accident. The circus is just one huge family, a bunch of unique people who were mostly shunned by society. Being able to go forward was exactly what the lives lost would have wanted. Anna Donovan, the wardrobe mistress and survivor of the crash, is quoted as saying, We had to go on, no matter how we did feel inside. The Hagenbeck-Wallace Circus, despite this horrific incident, continued on for many years after. In 1936, it was acquired and absorbed by the Ringling Brothers Circus. So I'm sure you're wondering, what caused this horrific accident to occur? Miscalculation? Ignoring the signs on the track? Malice? None of it. It was something completely preventable and something that could literally happen to any of us. The train that hit the circus was led by engineer Alonzo Sargent. He had worked within the railroad services for 29 years and engineering for the last 16 of those years, Alonzo was conducting a very large Michigan Central Troop train that included 20 empty Pullman cars. This was a steel engine and not a wooden one like the circus train. Alonzo was asked at 8 p.m. on Friday to take on heading the train after a previous trip, which he headed at 5 a.m. He was made aware before he even left that he was falling behind a slow-moving wooden circus train. So, he was to take it slow and be cautious— Obviously, he was able to go quicker on the tracks than the circus train was allowed to go, so then he definitely needed to be cautious. Alonso didn't take warning, and he was traveling 35 miles per hour on impact, but speed wasn't the only issue here. The previous 24 hours before he knew he was to be conducting, Alonso didn't sleep. He had been heading a different train from Michigan and didn't have time. That combined with eating a couple filling meals, he knew he wasn't going to be able to eat on the road for a while, so... He had some pretty heavy meals, a prescription that he was on for his kidneys that made him drowsy, and the rocking of the train on the tracks made Alonzo fall into a deep sleep while heading the train. He also commented that the wind was blowing very hard, so he closed the window in his train cabin and it got really warm and cozy in there. That's why he didn't see the brake men signaling him and seemed to be completely unaware of the stopped locomotive on the tracks. Alonzo and Gustave Kloss, the fireman, which he's the person that, um job is to tend to the fire for powering a steam engine for the train, both were arrested and criminally charged with negligence and subsequent death and injuries in Lake County, Indiana. But these charges didn't see through. The jury ended up deadlocked, and it was led to a mistrial. Prosecutors declined retrying the case based on believing that this was purely accidental. Neither the firemen or Alonzo walked away with legal consequences, and all charges were dropped. June 9th, nineteen twenty, their punish- punishment was said to be the guilt and shame from causing so much devastation. So, he ended up dying. Um, he, he ended up retiring from conduct. Yeah, from conducting from everything, and then he ended up dying from, I think it said, decompensated or de- decompensated heart. I think is what it said. I think he had ended up having a heart problem that killed him probably because all the stress of dealing with this uh i tried to research when regulations were put into place for how long train employees were allowed to work and i think maybe i was just using the wrong verbiage but i believe the regulations were enact weren't enacted until 1966 that's not surprising is insane no
2: it's not surprising because a lot of truck drivers well, all truck drivers Mm -hmm. now are on some sort of schedule like like that where they're not
1: they can't. Drive yeah, you're for going ten than...
2: to fourteen hours.
0: Yeah, yeah. Pilots that is like yeah. You're thing. obligated.
1: You you know you got to do your job. Mm-hmm. So so now it's federal law that anyone working a train cannot work longer than twelve hours without a minimum of eight hours of rest in between, but other criteria comes into play as well, like the terrain that you're taking, mm-hmm. what they're hauling, mileage, etc. I'm also sure what you're wondering: what happened to the first train? Because this was the second train that got hit. Oh,
0: yeah, I forgot. There's three trains total. There's, yeah, there's three okay. trains
1: total. So uh, thankfully, the first train that contained the animals had made it to the train station in Hammond. But there was rumors that some animals, including African lions, were on the second train. Now, this is purely rumor and speculation, but it is believed that those animals survived the crash and were able to escape. I completely forgot we were even (laughs) talking about rogue lions in Hammond, Indiana. This is where the urban legend stems from. People believe the animals were out there surviving in the woods and in and around Hammond. Since it was believed that the animals were in the first train and only performers were in the second, no one went to look for the animals because they had no idea that they would even be missing in the first place. Most of the damage was to the rear of the train, not the front, where the animals could have been. And in the hurry to get the victims and survivors out of the rubble of the fire, no one noticed as the few animals in the front of the train escaped. So what a roller coaster that was. (laughs) So
0: those are rumors. Do you know who started those rumors? Because it almost wouldn't be rumors if the people, the survivors are like, weren't there some lions up there? But
1: it would turn out to be a rumor, you know, like kind of Yeah, over time. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't find who started the the urban legend. I just found this whole train is suspected to be the cause of why people hear African lions occasionally did through the early 1900s. What a badass connection. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. Isn't that wild? Now I kind of believe it. When you first said it, I was like, I know.
0: Fucking Hammonders. It took
1: me on this wild ride because I'm thinking I could understand a cougar. Even though like you see a cougar, you would think that's like a female African lion in a rush. Uh, Hearing a roar, though, cougars don't even... They sound like screaming women, just like a bobcat does. They don't have a roar like a lion or a tiger. So then I was like, what? I was going to say, or a bear, oh my. Or a bear. Mm -hmm. Oh my. (laughs) Yeah. Oh my. So you guys have any comments about this story? Any questions that maybe I could clear up? I was so...
0: Intrigued
1: and entranced.
2: How much were tickets to get into the circus back in I those days? I didn't
1: look that up. I don't think it was very much. you, talked did about, you write that I did. Down? I wrote
2: that down. Cost of tickets because you were talking about uh, the oh, great it's fresh affordable. and all that. Yeah. So yeah, Affordable. I just wonder how much it was.
0: Because tickets are still really cheap for the circus, but it's when you get there is when you start spending uh, money. Oh, yeah. yeah. You know, it's like for, seven bucks. It, tickets a are free get, a lot of times. Oh, yeah. You can just pick them up like businesses. For uh, businesses. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
2: But you got to pay $14 for a beer.
0: Yeah. 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 Or a s- cup of soda. $12 <laughs> for a small popcorn. <laughs> Pretty much. And then your kid wants that wand with the star that lights up and that's $14, too. Oh god, those
1: things are so expensive. They have them
2: for 14. Last time I paid 26.95.
1: <laughs> 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 so yeah, I thought this was a I mean it it's the story still sucks, but it's a story that I don't think a lot of people have heard about and it kind of breaks up that monotony that we've had with these unsolved cases where there's just no conclusion. Right.
0: It's really cool, too. I feel like circus people kind of get a bad rep, like, not really historically, but, um, what is it, like, stereotypically, I yeah. guess? mm mm-hmm. But, yeah, when whenever you you hear about them, it is, they're like a big family. I mean, they're traveling on the road with each other for months at a time, mm-hmm. and you, I mean, you have to get along with They're all the people. outcasts of yeah. society. I mean, even...
1: They I couldn't think do about, the like couldn't the nine-to-five. Carnies. And, yeah. Fair carnies. Exactly. They, they're... You, I mean, you see it all the time. When you go to a fair, you're like, oh, that guy or that. Dude. Yeah, they get a bad rap too. Yeah. But they're all really kind people and they love each other and they've just lived on the outskirts of society. Mm-hmm. And, and they're friends all when found the found carnival each other.
0: shuts down. They go, they eat dinner together. They yep. sleep in the same,
1: you know, trailers or whatever. Yeah. So it's nice hearing that, like, I thought it was really heartwarming that the circus still went on and all of these other circuses from basically competing Troops came yeah. to with in camaraderie. Camaraderie, they came in and helped the profile. Well, and the so. fact too
2: that the some of the survivors still want to be buried with the yeah, other was, ones. That's pretty uh,
0: cool. That is so. It's, yeah, oh, that was lovely. My heart.
1: That my was heart. lovely. All right, guys. Thank you all for listening to this week's episode. And we really hope that you do enjoy the little switch up that we've done here. Like I said, sometimes we're going to throw in random stories like this to break up the unsolved cases, which they will always be our first priority. But I'm sure you feel the same when I say sometimes we need to add something in to make us not feel so helpless. Let us know your opinions on this, and if you like it, or if you'd rather just stick to unsolved and missing persons cases, let us know on social media, through our email, murdernerds at gmail.com, or even by filling out the survey located in the Linktree link in our social media bios. And while you're on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter, give us a follow. We will always provide photos from this case, future and past cases, and we also include a quick little synopsis under the photos. And if you haven't already, please subscribe or follow us on all popular podcasting platforms. We're pretty much everywhere that you could enjoy podcasts. If you're an Apple Podcast listener or Spotify listener and you want to help support more nerds in a free and easy way, give us a rating and a review. This helps us tremendously when it comes to getting charted and gaining sponsors for our contact. And I just want to give a quick thank you to my co-host, Ashley, and our producer and editor, Jeremy Please go show his podcast, Golden Image Podcast, some love. And until next week, stay safe, friends. Bye-bye. Bye.